Well, I am excited about a new series, a new month, a new season of Thanksgiving, and wherever you're making your connection with us today, whether it's Gables Campus, Kindle Campus, across this nation, around the world, we are beginning our countdown to Thanksgiving and saying, forget not all of God's benefits. So I wanted to say, thank you, Lord, that you forgive our sins, that you heal our diseases, that you strengthen our bodies so that our youth is renewed like the eagles, and may that blessing be yours wherever you're making your connection with us. Now, I want to take you back. You know, growing up, I loved comic books, and there are two comic book characters, two cartoons cartoon characters that really, um, I could imagine myself, if I could be somebody, I wouldn't mind seeing what it was like to be them. You know who they were? Uncle Scrooge McDuck. I don't know if you know him. Top hat, spats. I mean, he's a, he's a wealthy big business magnet and adventure capitalist is what he calls himself. Um, and he was the financial backer of many of the zany ideas that Gyro Gearloose would bring in. And, uh, and Uncle Scrooge would help make those things happen. McDuck um, was not born into wealth. Actually, he earned it as an immigrant who came to this land and then worked his way up the financial ladder to great wealth. And the thing that I remember about McDuck most was when he, he loved to dive into his money bin. And I could just imagine, I could, when he was, he would dive in and I could hear like the coins go ching, ching in my mind as a kid, just thinking, what would that feel like, you know? And then there was Richie Rich. Richie Rich is known as the poor little rich boy. He's the only child of fantastically wealthy parents. His dad was an industrialist, and Richie is the world's richest kid. Can you imagine? I mean, he, uh, he's so rich, his middle name is a dollar sign. He's about 10 years old. He lives in a mansion. He owns at least two of everything that money can buy. His dog's name is Dollarmation, which is like a Dalmatian, except instead of spots, it has little dollar signs all over the dog. And he has a robot maid. He's got a chauffeur. He's got um, a girlfriend, Gloria Glad. And the thing about Gloria is she's really not impressed with Richie's stuff. You know, she can't be taken by his things. She's not impressed by his affluence or the trappings of it. And then he's got this mean cousin, Reggie McDoe, who uh, is always targeting Richie and troubling Richie about something. And yet throughout the whole thing, Richie is kind, he's generous, he's friendly. He tries to do the right thing. But sometimes it's hard when you have so much. That's one of the lessons that, that Richie is supposed to learn. And uh, another one that I learned from those, that same comic book was this, money doesn't get you all you want. Because see, Richie really wanted Gloria Glad to be his girlfriend, but she just wasn't distracted by his stuff. She was interested in something else that we would call character today. Um, and then he also learned that money can cause you problems. Because we saw in the storyline of the book that he could be made a target for the jealousy and the meanness of others. And he was always having to field some kind of challenge like that. And yet, still Richie would try to help people. He was good, he was kind, he was friendly. He would, uh, he would try to do what was right. Now, I would read that. I cannot imagine what it would be like to live in that kind of opulence. Um, but I was happy for Richie and, uh, and happy that he was trying to do good 
in the middle of it. And then I think I was secretly wishing that I could have a friend like that. You know, is there somebody in my life that I could know like that? Um, but the lesson I took away was this. Money was good, but really hard to live with. And to think, all of this wisdom and opulence could be mine for less than a quarter, because that's what comic books cost at the time. Have you ever fantasized about being rich? Have you ever dreamed of having more? What you would do? What you would buy? You know, like Tevya and uh, Fiddler on the Roof, if I were a rich man, right? And uh, what did he say he would do? Oh, I'm going to build a big house. And I'm going to have so much money that I could have two staircases, one for going up, the other for coming down. I'm going to hire lots of servants so my wife can boss them around. And then he said, and you know what? People are going to come and ask me important questions. Because when you're rich, people think you're smart. We probably all dreamed of being rich, of having more. What would it be like? How would we spend it? Well, Pastor Andy Stanley is a ministry friend of ours, and he has written a compelling little book. It's entitled, How to Be Rich. And um, in it, I mean, some of our groups are actually using it during the month of November to kind of count down toward Thanksgiving with gratitude. And in that book, he asked just a few questions like this one. You ever stood in front of a closet full of clothes trying to find something to wear? <laughs> you ever trade a perfectly good car for another perfectly good car? You ever killed time on your standing in line at on your cell phone, standing in line to replace your phone with another of the same kind of phone? And then he said, you ever gone shopping just to relax? Then you might be rich. If you answered yes to any of those questions, you might be rich. Now you may not feel rich, but that's the thing about riches, you don't always feel you can be rich without feeling rich. In fact, one of the most arresting things that he says in that little book is this. If you make over $37,000 annually, you are in the top 4% wage earners in the world. Top 4%. 96% of the world's population make less than you do, which would mean you're rich. But maybe you don't feel like it. Well, that's the thing about riches, I said. Just, you can be rich and not even feel it. And Andy says, you can be rich and not be very good at it. So he's a serious Bible student. He sat down with scripture and he's trying to help offer some wisdom to help people know not just how to be rich, but how to be better at it. And uh, the central text of that little book is the one that we're gonna be looking at today and in this series, 1 Timothy chapter six. Now, Timothy, you need to know this. We just finished a study through Ephesians and Timothy now is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. We understood that they were fighting with money, sex, and drugs in that culture. And now Paul is writing to the pastor of that church and addressing money and affluence in these words. And by the way, don't worry we're not gonna ask anybody to give to the church, okay? So that's not where this is going. Just breathe a little sigh of relief and let's listen to the, uh, 
Listen to the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Command those who are rich. Okay, wait a minute. That means anybody who makes $37,000 or more a year. This is for us. Rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And it is, isn't it? Just hold that thought. The market's going up and to the right. That's good for some people. Others are going like, what happened to me? And it can all change so quickly. It's so unpredictable, right? That's what he says. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Okay, wait, hold up. Think about that thought for a second. God, there's a thought. God is generous. I don't know if that's the first thought that comes to your mind, but God is provider. God provides life, Paul is saying. For what? For our enjoyment? Really? Are you kidding me? God wants me to enjoy life? Yes, he does. God richly provides. Why? So that you can enjoy life. Why? How? He says, command them to be good, to do good, to be rich in good deeds to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they're going to lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. In other words, here's a new thought too. For some of us, you can prime the pump in this life for an even better return in the next life. So in this little text, oh my goodness, there are some big truths to set us free. Financial freedom. And here's the first one. God is not anti-wealth or anti-material. God is generous. God provides. Material world is here as an extension of God's generosity. And why did he do it? He said, for your enjoyment. In fact, the Bible's full of stories showing us that many people of faith were also people of means. Like Abraham, for instance, father of the faithful. <laughs> He's known for having many flocks, many herds, so many that his nephew Lot, who also has many flocks and many herds, have got to part company so that they can take care of all that they have. Job, another story that we've studied not so long ago. I mean, on the front end and the back end. I know he had problems in the middle of his life, but oh my goodness, on the front end and the back end, he was uh, pretty affluent. King Solomon, wealth, wealth, wealth. Moses, raised in Pharaoh's house. Esther, lives in the palace of Xerxes the king. And then back all the way up to Adam and Eve. I mean, the first humans, according to the Bible's creation story. And God, here's what God does. He just gives them the world. Serious? Yeah, he makes everything and then he makes them and he says, no, it's yours. Manage it, enjoy it. It's a gift from God meant to be enjoyed with God. And then Jesus, Jesus. Now we know Jesus, uh, his ministry involved people from every economic level, the poor, the outcast, the marginalized for sure. Yes, yes, yes. Sometimes that's what comes to our mind first. But did you know also the materially rich? Nicodemus was a very educated, very affluent, very well-heeled leader in first century life. And his is one of the first stories the Gospel of John tells us, conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus. His friend, 
Joseph of Arimathea was also very educated, very affluent, and is the man whose tomb was used for Jesus' burial, Joseph of Arimathea. Matthew and Zacchaeus, oh my goodness, these guys are filthy rich. You know why? They're tax collectors. Everybody knew, however they made their money, it wasn't the right way. But Matthew, Jesus said, I want you to follow me. And Zacchaeus, <laughs> Jesus went and said, I got to have lunch with you. Check their stories out. Simon, who was later called Peter, he was a homeowner, we're told. And his extended family lived in the same house with him. His mother-in-law lived right there in the same house, which pretty, then Luke's gospel it says that women were supporting Jesus' ministry from their means. So women of means, like who? Like Joanna, the manager of Herod's household. She was in charge of the king's household, and she's underwriting Jesus' ministry. And then, oh, let's back all the way up to Jesus' birth. These magi were invited to the party, and what did they bring? Very expensive gifts from the world they came. Maybe you know this story. Jesus and the blank young ruler, the rich young ruler is how the story goes. And of all the stories in Jesus' life, this was one of the very few where it says Jesus loved him. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. What are we supposed to take from this? Well, Jesus didn't repel people of means. Jesus didn't repel the wealthy. He attracted them. In fact, they came looking for him, which is what happened with that young man. And while in the conversation Jesus had with this affluent young adult, he helped him come to understand that he just didn't have wealth. Wealth had him. He wasn't free. He was trapped by his wealth. He was rich and he was trapped. But here's what we're supposed to take from this. God isn't anti-material. God is generous. God provides life and this world for us and our enjoyment. Now study that on your own. Check out your own Bible for that. But what it means to me is this. It's not a sin to have wealth. It's a sin for wealth to have you. That's called idolatry. You're following the wrong God and you're not going to like the end result. Which brings us to another set you free truth. God doesn't want you to be trapped. How about that? God richly provides for your enjoyment, but God doesn't want you to be trapped by his good gifts. Now, something we sometimes forget about money is that it doesn't tell us the whole truth. Money never tells us the whole truth. And even when you have lots of money, what does money say? You need more. You don't have enough. More, you gotta have more. And then you're thinking, oh, money, you know, it, it pretends to be a good servant, and the next thing you know, it's demanding your allegiance. Maybe that's what Paul means when he says, don't let wealth make you arrogant. You're putting your pride that, in something that gives you false hope. In other words, money can be very deceptive. Money can be very misleading, and it can take you off point, off of true hope into false hope, and it can lead you into arrogance. So, hey, you got to watch out. It's a trap. And he says, so don't get trapped because that trap is going to shut down your harvest. And God doesn't want your harvest to go away. He wants your harvest to grow. Your return. Now, oil magnet John D. Rockefeller was America's first billionaire, 1937. Some of you already know this. 
in his day, he was the richest man in the world. Forbes magazine did an article on him that said in today's currency and today's dollar, his net worth was would be $340 billion. That's more than four times Bill Gates. Responsible for 1.5% of America's total economic output in his day. I mean, this guy, whew. And yet the richest man in the world, and here a reporter asked him on one occasion, what, how much money does it take to make a man happy? And you know what Rockefeller's response was? Just one more dollar. Do you know what he's talking about? Just a little more. He, he was speaking to the controlling power of money and then the desire to always want more, the thrill of the next victory maybe. Do you ever find yourself wanting more? Even though you're in the top 4% wage earners in the whole world, 96% of the world's population make less than you do if you take home $37,000 a year. But you don't, I don't feel rich, Bill. No, that's the thing about money. You don't feel rich. Then how is it that we can be rich without feeling rich? Well, Arthur Schopenhauer excuse me, uh, says this water is like, our wealth is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier we become. So, you know, we've got to have it, and it makes a wonderful servant, but it can also be a creeping controller that tries to mislead you into captivity. And Jesus says, when it comes to spiritual growth, it can just choke it right out. He tells a story. Uh, Jesus says that when it comes to spiritual growth, uh, material means can actually be a major competitor. He tells a story about four types of soil as the seed lands on the soil, and one of the soils is thorny ground. And he says the seed starts to grow and it starts stretching upward, but before it has a chance to bear any fruit, weeds, thorns, choke it out and keep it from bearing fruit. And then he tells the disciples that those thorns are threefold. Mark chapter four, verse 19. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke out the word. It occurs to me that all three of those have to do with wealth. Worrying about wealth, wishing about wealth, and wanting more wealth. So what's lurking behind those thorns? Well, there's idolatry and pride. That's part of it. Fear and distrust. I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough, so I can't trust God as my provider. And then coveting and greed. Well, she has that. I want it too. And no wonder Jesus says, hey, you've got to make a choice on this one. He was very clear about this. You can either serve God with your wealth or you can serve wealth as your God. Those are like the choices. They don't coexist in a person's heart. They compete. It's like the World Series, and somebody's going to win. So you need to get a heads up on this one because they, what is it that they compete for? For your life allegiance, for your loyalty. Who or what is going to command your loyalty and define your priorities in life? It's a competition. So what can we do? Well, part of the answer is maybe a personal declaration of independence. This is a very American thing to do, have a declaration of independence. What's a declaration of financial independence? It would sound something like this. I will not trust in riches. I will trust in God who richly provides. 
And that's, that's part of how to be better at being rich. Just like our money says, actually. Doesn't our money actually say something like that? In God, we trust. And this is what Paul is saying. But how do we do it? I mean, it sounds good, but how do we do it? Well, the next big truth to set us free is found in verse 18. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing. It has something to do with your attitude, with the way you think and feel toward things. Be willing to share. In other words, God wants you to be rich in a life well-lived, a harvest, a return on a life well-lived. Now, we're not so much agricultural in our urban environment, so maybe a better word than harvest is return. You know, we talk about return on investment. It's the same concept. Jesus went on in the parable of the soils to speak of the return that that seed would produce if it weren't being choked out by the competition. What would happen to the seed? He says, okay, 30, 60, 100 fold. What was sown can be produced out of your life. Your life can produce a greater harvest and that's what God wants. God wants you to be rich in harvest of a life well lived. And now in this sense, listen, even if you make less than 37,000 a year, you can be rich. That's what he's talking about. Anybody, everybody can be rich because it's not what you have that matters. It's what you do with what you have that matters. There's the takeaway from this entire talk. It's not what you have that matters. It's what you do with what you have that matters. That's like a key that you can open for a portal that would be a passageway to life. And that's what Paul says. Be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. Why? That's like saying, think of it this way. Instead of grasping I'm releasing, I'm opening my hand to be generous and willing to share means that I'm opening my hand. But then what does he say? It's like almost an oxymoron. He says, because you're gonna be taking hold of that which is really life. Greeks had two words for life, bios, from which we get biological life, and zoe, which is talking about spiritual holistic life. Guess which one he's using here? The whole spiritual life, spiritual quality of life. Life on another plane, not merely material existence, and yet true life on a spiritual plane. Paul's saying this, what you do with your material goods can actually open a, a portal through which you can lay hold of the most authentic kind of quality of life that there is. And we're gonna see more of that in two weeks. I'm very excited about that message. I just finished the first take on it uh, yesterday. But here's the point. God wants you to be rich, not just in material goods, though he's given us the world and all of our natural abilities and he wants us to develop them as we discover and harness opportunities in this world to create harvest that then serves the greater good. This is a creation story still happening through us but also the spiritual qualities that come as you choose to serve that greater good through an attitude that is willing to share. Now that's talking about hope. Hope, not false hope that says, oh, if I just had more, then, no, this is the true hope, the true invisible quality and virtue that says you can trust because of love. Trust God as with your wealth. Don't trust your wealth as God. Trust in God. And then it's like saying, now trust God and do good. 
through your wealth. Be generous, be willing, don't be grasping, but learn how to live this way and then trust God to generate more wealth so that now you're not consumed with what am I gonna have, what am I gonna drink, what am I gonna wear? And that's what return looks like in life. God wants you to be rich in the return of a life well lived. Now, I mentioned John J.D. Rockefeller earlier. Did you know that he intentionally made generosity part of his lifestyle all through his life from his very first paycheck? And check this out. Google it. Check the, check the background stories out on it. But his, from his very first paycheck, he started tithing. 10% would go beyond him, beyond him, beyond him. And then all through his life, this was his practice. And then after he retired from Standard Oil, he stepped up his philanthropy even more, giving over a half a billion dollars away um, to educational causes, religious causes, scientific causes. And the thing about it was, he wasn't born to wealth. His daddy was not wealthy. His daddy was a con man. You'll discover that his daddy was a womanizer. He didn't get this from his daddy. You know where he got the values? From Eliza, his dedicated Baptist mom, who, though she was obviously naive in choosing a husband, turned out to be a tremendous mother. And those values that she gained from her daily time in scripture were transferred to her son, John. And he lived them out. And oh my goodness, look what happened through his life. Now, but you're saying, but that was so long ago. Yeah, it was, but it was. America's first billionaire was actually a tither. Isn't that something? And then, but here's the story for today. You, you know of uh, rookie quarterback Deshaun Watson. You saw this story before his injury, the heartbreaking injury. We're so sorry for that. But perhaps you saw the story of him donating his first NFL paycheck to three cafeteria workers at the stadium who on the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey had lost pretty much everything. And, and he said, I want to do something for them. Here it is. Look good. I'm excited to do a little surprise uh, for the cafeteria ladies. That's been helpful for all of us, so it's gonna be cool. Hey, hey, how are y'all? For what y'all do for us every day and never complain, I really appreciate y'all. So I wanted to give my first game check to y'all to help y'all out some type of way. So, uh, here you guys go. Thank you so much. No problem. Can I no give problem. a hug? Yeah. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys. I appreciate y'all. No problem. Hopefully that helps. <laughs> Shouldn't be. So hopefully that's that's good though. It helps you get you back on your feet and anything else y'all need, I'm always here to help. So no problem. No problem. Thank you. Isn't that beautiful? But if you're like me, you're wondering how much was that check? So I researched it. Twenty-seven thousand dollars. Split three ways. Each one of those ladies got a $9,000 check that day that they didn't see coming. But Watson shows up and says, you know, I, lost, I know you lost so much and this ought to help you get back on your feet. Now, you know what? He knew what that felt like because somebody had been there for him and his family. Ten years prior, another NFL football player 
had partnered with Habitat for Humanity so that Deshaun's family could have a Habitat house of their own. And you can imagine how he felt so thankful. And so he has a sensitivity to helping somebody else. And that's why he told him. He said, hopefully, this is good. It can get you back on your feet if there's anything else you need. Um, I'm always here for you. Now, I heard him say that, and I thought, that sounds like the Good Samaritan. Because after he had taken care of the guy that got beat up, he said, now just put it on my tab, and then I'll pay for it when I get back. I mean, you, you may not be able to give billions or millions or even thousands, right? The thing is, if you could, you probably would. But every one of us can do something. And so today, here's my challenge. And like I said earlier, it's not to make the church rich. It's to take steps that will enrich our lives by helping others. Here's my challenge to you. This week, find somebody to do something for that will give them reason to say thank you that they don't see coming. And I don't know if it's gonna involve a lot of money. You know, you'll have to make that decision. But would you be an ambassador of this kind of goodness this week, that you just find somebody in your path this week, that you just wanna do something for them that they don't see coming, but would give them reason to feel gratitude? Why? Because when somebody says, thank you, Paul says that we're opening a window to a larger life. And when we're willing to share, then we're actually going to take hold of life that is really life. So I'm saying, why don't we put it to the test? And then those of you in group, then take it to your group this week and say, well, here's what I did and here's what happened. And, and would you pray for me now that God can continue using me to bless somebody else? so that they have reason to feel thankful and I can keep taking hold of life that's really life. Okay, what are the lessons? Here they are real quickly. Enjoy life, don't get trapped and live for a better return. Enjoy life. Don't get trapped, but live for a better return. How do I do that? Well, by remembering this, it's not what you have that matters. It's what you do with what you have. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the genius and the beauty and the wonder of life and, and the amazing privilege that's ours to, to have life and to share this world as your good gift. We, we make such a mess of things. Our history testifies to it. Our news headlines testify to it, that we are people in need. Would you forgive us, please? Forgive our sins. Forgive our self-absorption. Forgive our self-centered selfishness that keeps us always thinking about ourselves. Forgive us and cleanse us and free us and empower us that we might be more like you. And not only rich, but rich in good deeds. And this week, would you bless each person who's saying, yes, Lord, I'll do that. And would you give me eyes to see and hands to share and a heart to feel what you would take me into. Now, perhaps today you're on the front end of your spiritual journey and you'd just like to know what is the life that is more than life and how can I have it? Well, each week we offer a prayer and you're welcome to join it. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross to remove the obstacles from me having a relationship with God. Forgive my sins 
and come alive in my heart, come into my life. And I turn from my way to go your way and ask you to lead me that I could have a taste of what life really is in you. And I give you thanks as I make my prayer in your name. Now our heads still bowed just for a moment longer, but if you prayed that prayer to ask Christ to become real in your life and would let me ask his blessing upon your next steps of faith, would you simply raise your hand and hold it up for a moment so that I'll have an opportunity to see? And then if you're joining us online, there's an orange banner right there and you can just click on that and allow us the opportunity of doing the same for you. Right here in the middle, thank you, ma'am. And then toward the back on my left, God bless you, toward the front and right toward the aisle there on my left, God bless you. And then over to my right, toward the back and in the middle, thank you so much. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us, that you see each one who has just by uplifted hand is saying, my heart is open, my heart is hungry. And how we pray now that they would sense your life, breathing life into them, Fill them with joy and peace as we make our prayer in your name. Amen.